Hey, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Ecosystem Podcast, where we aim to help you, the big-hearted change maker with a bold vision to build a business that gives you butterflies and a life that makes you want to high-five yourself. How? By addressing the interconnected nature of all that you do. From marketing to mindset and everything in between, we believe your business is more ecosystem than monoculture and that when it comes to creating sustainable success, it's all connected and there is no one-size-fits-all formula. Join us for conversations that embrace nuance, elevate the importance of empathy, and address the diverse and unique strengths that enable entrepreneurs to not just make money, but to make real lasting positive change in a regenerative and revolutionary way. Welcome back (laughs) to the Entrepreneur's Ecosystem. We are beyond excited Mm -hmm. to get to chat with the one and only Rye Schwartz today. Ramblin' Rye, that's what. Ramblin' Rye. Ramblin' Rye, yeah. We got got cookies and conversions. We got cross-stitch and conversions. We got blankets and what was the blanket one? Uh, I don't think we we didn't have that with conversions. We were just talking about like how nice it would be to be a purple blanket. (laughs) Blankets and beingness was the title. Blankets. And beingness. It's going to be like a, a riff on Kant, on being, but on, <laughs> on, on being a blanket. <laughs> yes. Being being and nothingness was the yeah. one I read when I was like, yeah, when I was like 22. So it was like, it, this was my Vancouver experience. I was in okay. like Kitsilanu. Like, it's what you do when you're like, I don't know, trying to find yourself for a moment. So I was yeah. trying to find myself yep. in Kits and I would have like, my tour i would go to like this thai restaurant by the beach like mm. then i would like beach gaze i would just stare out in the yonder like the yonder gaze like yeah. nothing in particular just the yonder so i mastered the yonder gaze and then i would um walk to the used bookstore of course with a black coffee in my hand and i would find the book that would help me feel most philosophically sound and in tune with myself and one day I was being in nothingness and it was awful. And I didn't feel bad about <laughs> myself. I felt, I felt tremendously worse about myself, but I keep it. I kept it. It survived four moves and almost two decades now. And I guess I keep it to remind myself how far I've come. No, I'm joking. Well, um, man, here you are. There's we've, story. Got some, we've got some Salinger reference as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna read this epic bio. Oh, we have a bio. Truly, it's one of the best I've ever encountered. Which is not surprising whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So more reclusive than Salinger (laughs) on a rainy day. Rye Schwartz has been deep in the trenches for dozens of six and seven figure product launches and evergreen funnels. He's written for and or consulted with top online entrepreneurs and trainers like Amy Porterfield, Todd Herman, London Real, Josh Shipp, Dan Martell, just to name a few. And he's done it all without writing a single line of 
copy. Instead, she developed the <laughs> coaching the conversion framework as a faster, more natural and intuitive framework for crafting launch and funnel copy that connects deeply with your prospects and coaches them into being the perfect buyer. Booyah. And that is like just the tip of the rye Schwartz iceberg of brilliance. Man. And it's it's like at least halfway down the iceberg. Like, no, no. <laughs> it is it is like a snow cone. It's a snow cone of the iceberg. Yes. Sure. Yes. What's your favorite flavor of snow cone? <laughs> Ooh, I mean, does you're gonna have to tell me if this counts as a snow cone. It might be totally invalid, but last week we essentially when in our backyard, we like drizzled maple syrup on our snow and just scooped that shit and ate yeah, it. Yeah. So that's a that's a oh, maple yeah. snow cone, right? Mm-hmm. That's also, I, I knew you were going to say that in case you were wondering. Yeah, What's yeah. that called again, though? Uh, Dans le Français? Cabanos. Um, Cabanos. That's yeah. new. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. we did our own. Yeah. I mean, I can't even say it in French, but yeah, we cabana sucred in our own backyard. <laughs> Um, Yum. Yeah, because that's that's the extent of our growth crop for 2020. <laughs> Moving into it with a lot of snow and maple syrup. So I mean, that's, that's really good. All you need. Really. Yeah. You need, right? Maple yeah. syrup's a superfood. Right. Totally. One man's yeah. tale of surviving <laughs> snow and maple syrup. Funny story, uh, that used to be my my after school snack as a child. Some okay. for some reason my mom would let us boil maple syrup and just go outside and dump it on the snow and, and eat it like every day. Right. It's such a like a feral wolf child snack, right? <laughs> it's like I don't know. It's wholesome yeah. though. It's great. The maple syrup just adds that like warmth and sweetness and mm. Mm. So good. So yeah. good. Yeah. Just, well, another reason to love your mother. Right? I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was banking on blue raspberry. So you surprised me. I'm sure it's the first surprise of many. Blue raspberry. Is blue raspberry real or is that oh. like, no, no, that's no. a made up flavor. That's like it's a freezy. totally made up. Right? Freezies are, the blue freezies are blue raspberry, correct? Yeah. Does the yeah. Freezy Corporation own the trademark on blue raspberry? Like, are we I in infringement territory? I think like beaver, beaver <laughs> butts own the trademark. Beaver butts. Do, do you know? Is. Do you know about this? No. I'm not privy to beaver butts. No. Okay. Okay. So artificial raspberry flavor mm-hmm. is synthesized and or modeled after like a pheromone that's excreted from the anus gland of beavers. No. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Ask me how I know that. How? How I don't, do you know I don't that? know. I have no idea actually, but I feel like those must be like the two most Canadian flavors of snow cone <laughs> maple syrup and beaver butt. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Um, so marketing, copywriting. Um, <laughs> just joking. I, uh, I just want to say that it's fun for me to talk to Rai because for so many emails and launches I've written, it's been like his voice on 2X as I'm like yes. <laughs> just listening one more time to the like 10x launches or I think are you also 10x sales pages 
point like point two or whatever. Anyway, yeah. I I love Copy School, and I think that the ones I've listened to the very most are yours. So it's like, remember the first time we chatted? I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Oh, and he's speaking so slowly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you double speeding me because I'm not, not the first time one X. Like I've tried to rewatch myself at one X and like, I'm yelling at myself on the screen. Like, what's your problem, man? Like, I don't know. Um, it's not that you're too slow. It's just that I listen to it again. Like, Oh yeah. What am I trying to do here? Like just speaking of the whole, like coaching the conversion or like, I don't know, like that screenwriterness comes through. Right. Because it's I, like in my head, as I was walking back from the store today, I was like, the Danny Tanner, that was a good email theme play for me to use over and over again. I've like kind of moved beyond that. It's like inside me now, but definitely yeah. for a number of launches, it was just going back to what Rye told me to do and Get doing it as best Tanner. as I can. Yeah, mm. exactly. There's got to be like a YouTube compilation of all of Danny Tanner's like heartwarming speeches. Um, do you do you know him as a as a comedian at all? Like Bob Saget or Danny? Yeah. No, I only know fictional Danny Tanner. Okay, so Bob Saget is like the opposite of Danny Tanner. He like mm. has, I remember back when I was going to the U of A, he, there was like a lot of controversy around like how dark and disturbed his humor was. And yeah, so I mean, that's just like a, a interesting duck, duck, go for people to look into, like check out a little bit of, I mean, it could be cool to have like a, I want to like see like a TikTok, like uh, Bob Saget stitching Danny Tanner or something like that, like <laughs> commenting on himself. But anyway, I think he'd probably be into the beaver butt flavor. <laughs> Based on your knowledge of Bob Saget or Danny Tanner, like, which is Bob the Saget, Bob Saget's the like okay. beaver butt flavor of okay. snow cone and Danny Tanner is probably the maple syrup one. <laughs> Got it. There's a quiz in there somewhere. <laughs> There is. There's gotta be. Uh, which, which full house character are you? And we'll throw in a, you're none of them. You're Bob Saget. You are messed in the head. Yeah. You are a real Bob Saget. Oh, goodness. Oh, man. Well, back to coffee school. I think Rai is just so incredibly humble, but truly has been in the ears of probably thousands of mm-hmm copywriters, business owners who have no clue how to write launches, sales pages, all the things in a way that is so entertaining, but also effective, also heartfelt. And somehow you manage to bridge all of these universes together. Mm -hmm. That's been the attempt. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I'm noticing like a really beautiful transparency from your last launch too. Not that I stalk your emails, but I really love the like, uh, this is so particular, but we're specific, but I really love the like red opt out um, on one of the emails that I got recently. It was like in red, like this isn't for you. You can opt out here. And I want to make it really obvious to you that you can do that or what have you. So really cool. Yeah. We actually got like, five replies to that of people saying they accidentally clicked the red button because they just want to click through to the page right away and then realize mm. it was knocked out. So that strategy kind of backfired maybe. I don't know how many like accidental opt-outs we got, but 
at the same time. Like, I think like at this stage, right? Like you just want to be talking to people who are interested in hearing what you have to say, especially mm-hmm. around launches, around offers. Like I don't feel good occupying people's attention when their attention is best used elsewhere. And I guess I'm just so sensitive to it because I don't know, as you get like older and grumpier and have like kids running around, like your attention just becomes so freaking prized that you just want to defend anyone from leaking it anywhere, especially from your stuff. You don't want to be associated with that. So um, yeah, the good old opt-out link in red. And I think the landing page for that was, I think it brought people onto closing time performed on the office i think that's what we've been going for have you guys seen that like no no? you haven't seen office closing time no is this from like finale or something it's not the finale finale although that would make sense um okay it was ed Ed helms who was like the person i wasn't a big office fan actually like i just (laughs) i know the office through youtube clips i've never actually watched a full episode i don't know how one can it's not a judgment on those who have i just don't know how one can like i don't want to be energetically transported to cubicle hell yeah and it's so it's so real it's too real yeah it's too real yeah yeah i like don't know if it's like an over empathy thing, but I can't watch TV shows where people are constantly embarrassing themselves. We were chatting about this on Slack the other day yeah. and I find like just a little bit of the office and I feel that cringe in my heart and I'm like, yeah. no, thank you. Can't right. do it. It's like yeah. the nervous system doesn't know it's not you, right? Yeah, no, mine, yeah. mine definitely thinks it's me and <laughs> I'm not comfortable being embarrassed. Maybe there's some like deep work to be there, but I would rather just embarrass myself than like go through through it over and over again uh yeah I'll disclosure I'm like go off and on of dating apps and that's like so many people are like fan of the office fan of the office it's like actually like a meme of like what it what to put on your uh profile geez that's a thing so like what does it say about somebody if they're a fan of the office like what are they trying to achieve through that claim like what makes that a selling point I guess is my question I don't know. One of my really good friends is a really big fan of it too. And he's really intelligent. So I think maybe people think like it's intelligent humor. So it, it like, I know it's got a little bit of slapsticky to it too, but as a person who has only been able to watch parts of it, all I know is like, I'm afraid this person is probably going to like tease me and make me feel embarrassed or something. So I'm not sure, but I would invite people who are listening to the podcast to um, like email us or on our podcast page on the website, we have like a little feedback form and let us know what you think it means on a dating app profile. If you're a fan of the office, cause I would like to know so I can like, you know, decide which way to swipe or whatever, based on having a deeper knowledge of it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a quiz in that too, I think. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then, I mean, we could go down the rabbit hole with uh, like fan of Game of Thrones, fan of Narcos. Like, yeah. Yellowstone yeah. lately. And Yellowstone is like, oh man. That's with Kevin Costner, right? Yes. Like, good on him for not playing a baseball player. Like, good on you, Kevin, right? He plays a good rancher. As no. good as a baseball player? Like better. He's a better rancher than a ball player. Wow. <laughs> Only this took like, you like 65 years to find your role. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> this like has me wanting to take the conversation in two directions. One of them is to like get Rye's story because I know we've got some screenwriting in it. And then the other direction is to, I guess, like similarly, like talk about, I'd like to hear with, based on what your knowledge of what the office is, what you think it might say about a person, especially with like a screen writing background or like a coaching and conversion background, like what would be the theme plate for the office? I'm not sure, but maybe we should, maybe we should start where we were supposed to start, supposed to start and, and, and ask what your, what your sign is. Hey, Ryan, what's your sign? sign. I'm, yeah. I'm a Virgo. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that's that's all I got for you. I'm a Virgo. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I've been learning more about astro, but definitely not enough to hold my own in a conversation. Yeah. Um, I just like saying South Node Scorpio, even though I'm probably not. I just like saying <laughs> it. Just rolls off the tongue really freaking well. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I like nodes in general. Like, <laughs> like describing yourself by using the word node just feels so fucking cool. Right, it does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love the node combos. <laughs> right, the node combos. What are yeah. your nodes? Yeah, I've got uh, my north node is in Capricorn and my south node is in Cancer. So south node is like karma that you're you're moving away from and trying to shed. Mm. I relate to like the cancer stuff. And then north node Capricorn is like moving into your next stage of evolution and yeah the node combo with my astrologer when she went there so mm-hmm. much made sense to me right. and Colin my husband his are the opposite his <laughs> south node is Capricorn and his north node is Cancer Oof. so like all gets revealed once you go into node town right node town like skip the rising skip the moon skip the sun go straight to the notes (laughs) straight to the (laughs) notes see if that domain's available straight to the (laughs) nodes.com yeah we could we could have a whole funnel for that for sure yeah yeah Yeah, virgo with miscellaneous noting and um (laughs) yeah and my saturn has returned yeah. Yes. Yeah. So your Saturn is yeah. back. Yeah. In full force. <laughs> came back with a vengeance. But that's <laughs> that's the one that comes when you're like 30, right? Or 29, 30. 29. Yeah. 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 What was happening when you had your Saturn return? Oof. So like what where should I zoom in on this lifeline? Like between well, age? so the first time I ever heard your story of I don't know if it's cliche to say awakening like my thing yeah transcendence into some new paradigm (laughs) yeah was at the first ever TCC IRL Mm -hmm. and whoa like yeah so that was my mind definitely a Saturn return age like I was in 2015 yeah it was like 30 30 yeah I just turned 30 so it lines up it makes sense yeah that was kind of like a life pivot point so more so than being in nothingness and kids so that was like my that was like my fake Saturn return um yeah 
When were you in Kitsilano? Was that like early 20s? Early 20s, yeah. Just got out of a relationship, just left a job, went to find myself, used bookstores, coffee, beaches, Thai food. That was it. There was no other depth. There was only superficial depth to that trip. Um, but it would have looked great on a dating profile, right? Like it had all oh. the elements. <laughs> um had all the right elements. Like I really should have maximized that trip to create a false representation of who I was. It could have totally altered the course of my life, but missed opportunities. Where would you be today? Where would I be? I'd probably be like, I don't know, watching, watching like the office nonstop on Netflix with whatever partner was attracted to my false, like Kitsilano persona. Being in blankness. Exactly. Just reading each other. So no, it wasn't Nietzsche. It was Jean-Paul Sartre. Yeah, Sartre. 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 Mm-hmm. Can you say? Can you say it how his parents would say it? Uh, maybe Chantal can. Is it Jean-Paul or is it Jean-Paul Sartre? <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty close. <laughs> yeah. You're like the dean of philosophy at the university I want to go to. Um, <laughs> Call so, Jean-Paul Sartre. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, yeah. Was okay. yeah. No, it was good. My dad's name is Jean Gilles, so I think like you guys both kind of got it down. I grew up with a fair amount of French happening in the periphery, and you both sound like great English speakers pulling out a little bit of French accent. <laughs> nice work. Something like peripheral French, right? Yeah. Français, français. Ben oui, ben oui, Yeah. Yeah, I get tasked um, with the French conversations around here, which is like really difficult. Like mm-hmm. Sue is like a zero on 10. So <laughs> like by mere default of me not being a zero on 10, I got to deal with all the French contractors, which is really oh, hard. Dude, I don't know how you live in Quebec without speaking fluent French. I get by like hand gestures, like broken <laughs> French, but like things don't get done. Like that's why we had dead animals in the pool until July, until oh like God. we literally had no choice. I'm like, il y a un animal qui est, qui est mort et dans la piscine. Puis il y a sa senti comme... And then just a wafting hand gestures. And I'm like, tu dois vider, vider l'animal qui est mort. <laughs> Yeah. I understood it all. Right? And then it, and then, it, then it just happens. The next day, there's no longer a dead animal. Yeah. So success, I guess. All right. I'll let you re-steer because I know, I know you were re-steering before my dead animal anecdote. Well, I do want to hear about this story. Maybe you don't want to be as long as it was in the TCCIRL, but I just like... Shanti like mentioned it and I, it was like an open loop that I, I need to be closed. So can, can we hear more please about uh, that? Yeah. yeah, I'll be, I'll tell the very um, truncated version of it. Okay. And the reason it's going to be truncated is have either of you seen the documentary from like 2012? It was a Canadian one, like the stories we tell or something like Sarah Poli. Yes. But yeah. that was a long time ago. Yeah, it was yeah. a long time ago. I don't remember it either. But like the reason I bring it up was like, I don't know, like stories themselves feel kind of like you've taken arbitrary pieces of it. And every time I retell, there's just a certain re-remembering of it that is different from how I remembered it last time. Um, especially these dramatic moments where you just kind of like piece together all the soul fragments over time and then re-understand it through a different 
different lens. So I've stopped telling that story anywhere. Um, and I was like very deliberate about that in an email. Um, I sent a, I don't know, it was like a year ago, which was like, I don't know, the seventh anniversary of it or whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, the more I told the story, the less I actually felt connected to what happened. And I felt no need to continue trying to understand and define it, but just take the gifts of where I've landed on the other side of it. But the very short version was, it was kind of this life turning point. I was, yeah, 30 at the time. Yeah, just kind of confused. Um, not really ambitious about anything, but just kind of taking whatever kind of came along and feeling very unengaged with life itself. Not a depression, but just kind of a listlessness. Like, you know, mm-hmm. why does anything matter, right? Like, what? Like, I could be doing all these things, but nothing really seems to really give me the juice. And I still haven't found ever this singular purpose that really wakes me up and says, I got to be doing this. I don't have any goals that really light me up. Um, And I've always felt I've been weird because of that, but that was particularly pronounced at that age. And yeah, I was kind of, I was writing copy at that age. I was working with my first mentor actually in that space, um, who's um, Danny Eaney, now Muracy. And um, I remember just like, grinding, grinding, grinding. Like that was the first launch I ever worked for. Right. And you never forget your first launch. <laughs> um, it was just wild and it didn't make sense to me to be exerting myself to that degree. Mm-hmm. And yet I felt I had to, cause I was still recovering from the trauma of like barely making a dollar in my twenties and feeling like a total failure that's been left behind the pack. And there's nothing worse than feeling like you're 30 and have been left behind the pack. Um, and the guilt and shame that comes with it. So yeah, after that launch, I took a two week holiday or what was supposed to be a two week holiday to um, Florida. It was the first trip I was taking with um, Sue. We were only together for like a year at that time. And out of all places to be going, we went to um, stay with um, my spiritual teachers and teacher at the time. He was um, kind of coaching me through that stuff. And we stayed there and on day two, like you felt the subterranean rumblings before it actually happened. Like my life was, it felt like my life was vibrating for the two days we got there. And that was a weird feeling. It was like Mm -hmm. an earthquake without there being an earthquake. And I couldn't even explain it. And then on the second day, I remember I woke up at like 2 a.m. from that inner earthquake. And I could have sworn the whole place was shaking, but it wasn't, you know, every, everyone was like still sleeping, you know, Sue was still sleeping. Nothing was shaking off tables. And then I got back to bed and I woke up at like 6am and yeah, everything was just like totally numb. Like body was offline, but I was like awake and couldn't move. And my first instinct was, um, okay. Like everything just kind of like fell asleep. Like when your arm falls asleep, like it'll come back and no, it's just like dead mass, like totally disconnected. Um, but yet I was, I wasn't out of body. I wasn't like floating above it. I was just spirit with dead flesh. Essentially is kind of the best way to explain it. And what I do remember vividly was initially the degree of not even caring that that was so like the relief of 
thank God I don't have to be in a body and fulfill any kind of potential anymore. Like, thank God I could just resign to, you know, no expectations of myself because I'm going to be either dead or a paraplegic for the rest of my life. And that initial wave of not giving a fuck really alarmed me and kind of shook me to my core while I was, I didn't even know who was thinking those thoughts at that time. And then I remember like there was a flint, like this little flint of just like, no, you want to be here, right? Like all this shit about being resigned, all this stuff about not caring. This is just, you know, old you perishing, right? Mm -hmm. Of the weight that you've been carrying of all these expectations on yourself, of all these, yeah, of all these like norms you've never been able to live into and you don't need to live into them because they're not you, right? And it was that degree of letting go of all that expectation that I was after, not resignation from life itself. So that alchemized, that resignation turned back into a willingness pretty quickly and a desire to be operational and embodied. (laughs) And there was also a surrender. There was a mix of so many things. There was a peacefulness. There was a surrender and acceptance of, if this is what it's going to be, this is what it's going to be. And there was all these things kind of like circulating. And then I remember, um, yeah, things gradually came back online through, you know, visualization, through breathing. I could still breathe, which was good. Um, (laughs) And yeah, slowly like fingers started moving again and then bigger joints and everything within kind of, I think like an hour and a half or two hours, like I was able to get up again, but like, it wasn't me at that point. Like something was gone and something was reborn. It was just the most vivid, real non-metaphorical death and rebirth I'd ever experienced. And I felt, I didn't feel much. I just felt essentially rebooted. Like nothing made sense. I couldn't even really remember much of what had happened before. It was just, yeah, a totally new perceptive lens across everything. My senses weren't even taking things in as they were before. Everything was a little bit more richer. Everything had a little bit more of a a live quality to it. And I was part of it. So that was the short version of it. And I mean, it, it goes on and on and on, but, um, yeah, that was that experience. Wow. Yeah, thank you for sharing, especially since you said you weren't going to share anymore. That's really, I don't know, interesting and powerful and kind of like, I think right now, not to get too much into these times, I think right now a lot of us are like, wow, what is my purpose now? It's hard to sort of sort out how to be in this new world that we're shifting towards. And um, yeah, that idea of like, not knowing what the mission is or like being a person who's never had big lofty goals really resonates with me. So it's cool to like hear from someone who's done so many really cool things <laughs> like here you'd be like, yeah, I just never really had big lofty goals. I'm like, yeah, that totally like every time I accomplished something, I was like, oh, was that a goal? No, neat. <laughs> like, so right. yeah. yeah. And, and then, yeah, I like the idea of awakening happening as, as a death like awakening and a death at the same time. So thank you for sharing. And that that can happen so quickly. Yeah. And like seemingly out of nowhere, seemingly like 
I'm sure all the doctors said, we have no idea why this happened. Yeah, well, that's totally how it went down. So, I mean, second half of that story really is like, I had just kind of like wanted to stay where I was and not move and just integrate, right? And just process. And then dealing with everyone else's freak out. I remember like, that was the hard part. Mm. It was dealing with, you know, Sue's freak out and that's no blame to her. Like when your partner just wakes up like that, like, yeah. yeah. But, you know, everything from there to getting kind of like, I don't want to use the word force, but yeah, kind of like pushed into the hospital system around that. Like I had no desire to get a medical understanding of what had happened. And I mean, this was kind of like my first brush shopping age, like feeling like I had lost some degree of like bodily sovereignty was like, I'm like, who is this all for? Cause it's not for me. Like I'm not making the choice to be in this hospital bed or have these like tubes in me or have this dye put into my veins so that you could look at my brain on this screen and like whose Mm -hmm. curiosity are you trying to satisfy? Cause it's not mine. All I can tell you is like, I'm here and I feel like I've been reborn and I want a safe place to experience that. And I'm in this stroke ward with people who are fighting for their lives. And it just made no sense to me. So that was like, that was the part that was where kind of the real awakening and transition and integration had to happen. I remember being on the stroke board for eight days, walking the halls just with the personal mantra of like, I'm the healthiest person here. Right. And not buying into any stroke story just because mm-hmm. that's what a CT scan showed, you know, an after effect of. Mm-hmm. So that became, yeah, that became the work. Right. And yeah, that was a whole experience in of itself, but <laughs> Um, yeah. And then of course, like everything changed after that. It wasn't like an overnight life is amazing, but there was a new, yeah, there was greater resource and inner capacity to experience the world and to have some degree of will within it and courage within it, I would say too, because a lot of my, a lot of my, um, resignation was just out of sheer terror of being a human in this world with humans that I just barely resonated with, right. And would try to force myself to play their game. And it's very difficult playing games for a prolonged period of time that you just don't have any will or desire to play. So you learn to play your own games, your own winnable games and enjoyable games. And, um, that's what I've been blessed to do for the, yeah, for the like seven, eight years since then. Mm. Wow. Would you say it was a slight diminishment or even as far as a removal of the core fear that all humans have, which is that of our own demise, I suppose. Um, The surrender to that in that moment, um, certainly, yeah, did brush up against that. And I remember being willing to go, right? If this was it, this was it. Um, I remember even being willing to not regain any function and just be here as, you know, whatever is left of me. So yeah, brushing up against like that core fear. And I, I still wouldn't say I fully transcended that fear. Like when that time comes again, I'm sure that's going to be a whole other initiation, right. And a whole other confrontation, but it certainly made, (laughs) you know, the things we deem to be scary in day-to-day life 
quite easy and non-dramatic and it felt like bonus time, right? It's just like, Mm. why would I be afraid of, you know, just being totally weird on myself in this email to this client or in this, or showing up with this quote or like, just none of that really phased me because it felt like, yeah, just bonus time. I'm here. I get to play in this world that I'm creating right now. So yeah, it took off kind of like all those other things that I would get so hung up on, hung up on before, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting just to have an experience of like touching that. For me, it was like DMT. Mm. And that like mini miniature total surrender glimpse at some other universe, some other way of being that is eternal. And that experience lasts five minutes Mm -hmm. in this, in this reality, but in that reality, it's like forever. Mm -hmm. And that's just those little tiny tastes of something bigger put all of the little egocentric things into perspective but of course we like vacillate back and forth and like forget and I mean I sure do like yeah and Yeah, I think there's something to be said about, I mean, we don't need to go too deep into like the DMT experience, but like my experience in that realm was like the ridiculousness as like cohesion happens again, right? It's like you refabricate over the matrix of all that is, right? And it's just like, we're rebuilding Shanti right now, right? Of all these identities. So you literally get rebuilt from the nothingness was my kind Mm -hmm. of like return trip, right? And then it's like every day you can kind of touch and dwell in that infinite, but like mm. as your team members, as your clients re-relate to you as, you know, the Shanti they know and expect, you kind of reco you experience this recohesion around expectation, right? When mm. there's enough people essentially evoking this version of you, that to me is like the cohesion that holds that in place temporarily, but it's not you and you know it's not you. And sometimes there could be this slight um, tinge of pain in operating as such when you know it's not yet that's what's functionally being adopted. At least that's been my experience post both those things. Recohesion could be clumsy, essentially. Yeah, that's such a good way of explaining it. And that subtle pain of of sort of knowing that no matter what you do, most of the people who you touch and connect with in this virtual sphere will never know like the totality of who you are and like striving for that maybe is pointless and absurd, (laughs) but still I have this desire to strive for that. It's strange. Yeah, I think like we crave that intimacy to be fully seen and to not to at least not be evoked as something we're not, right? I don't know, like actors have gone crazy, right? Maintaining roles for too long. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even even roles that are enjoyable and non-dramatic and awesome get a little bit tiring to portray beyond the point of them feeling real and true. So 
I don't know. I still haven't learned how to functionally operate <laughs> with both. I guess method acting is one way to put it. Like there are some things that just like, I really enjoy doing that rise towards the copywriter entrepreneur does, right? And it feels real and I could buy into that for enough time to be productive and to operate from that space. And I love the interactions I have from that space. And yeah, forced cohesion never feels good. That just creates undue pressure on the system. Um, and the same could be said about being a father, being a parent, being a partner, um, all these things add cohesion to identity and role that are functional and necessary and beautiful and have these moments. And, and yeah, I think there's just this, it's, it almost some, some days feels like a cruel joke, right? Where it's like, you just yearn to sink into that deep ocean of nothingness, not all the joy and bliss that's there yet. We're so immersed in this reality that is so demanding of so many active shades of us. Right. And it's like, in those moments, I'm like, I could do the monk in a cave thing so easily right now, but yeah, but being a dad and having clients and being a business partner and being a partner to sue all these things like that. Yeah. That to me is challenging as hell. And also where I've grown the most and learning to be both and do both and really try to create less divide between them. But it's weird. It's awkward. It's clumsy. Right. Yeah. And a practice mm-hmm. in itself. And I think um, a denial of the cohesion is a denial of the agreement that we made before this place to come into the physical body and be cohesive and participate in the world that we uh, live in and I know that um, in in many traditions, there are stages of life and you don't go off into the cave until you've done your householding, because how can you hold space for uh, that depth of consciousness in an empathetic way if you haven't experienced the sweeping the steps every day and planting the garden and eating the food? You know, we can't. And some people, maybe that for them, it is like, they're never going to be copywriters. They're always going to be like, you know, poets in a cave, not even sharing their words unless someone climbs the mountain three times seeking them. And then, you know, I don't know. I think I, I, this is actually something I wanted to talk to you about too. So I'm, I'm glad we're coming towards it. It's so interesting to have a spiritual practice and then be someone who sells something. And I just, yeah, I wonder if, if there's anything you want to want to say around that and I know that lots of people there's different ways like there's us as marketers and copywriters and then there's people who say like sell spiritual coaching programs or I used to own a yoga studio right and like where is that intersection in this this world right now where we need to eat and you know, the yogis and like, and, and Jesus's were fed by the community, but that's not a thing that happens now necessarily very often. Right. So yeah, I, I wonder what for you, 
think there's a couple things you said this like games that we're playing and I love that because that's how I try and think of or do think about life unless I'm depressed and then it doesn't feel like a game anymore or not when I'm winning anyway but yeah how to how to be that more cohesive embodied human being in this world yeah and have those spiritual yeah I think like a big thing for me was just like simply embracing like practicality instead of denying it. Right. I wasn't at war with what's practical, you Mm. know, you know, in any of these roles, right. Whether that's like running a business or being a parent or partner, like I think honoring what is practical and what's imminent and what's in front of you is super vital and important for not bypassing that, you know, that stuff essentially. And yeah, like even in the pure practical means of like, you want a deep spiritual practice, you want the space for your own unfoldment and your own healing for a while, like let's get real of what creating that container entails and takes. Container, there we go. Container, container, container. <laughs> right, container. container. <laughs> I say all the time. Is this a word you're not into anymore, container, or you were into, or you're oh, there, too often? There was a there was a funny post. I think Meryl posted something around Meryl, she hates yeah. the word container, mm-hmm. and then Rye commented, and I, and I was like, oh, it's only if it's the sacred container, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. So honoring practicality, I think, instead of denying it and being at odds with it, I think is really where it's been for me, and. And yeah, I think like that's served me well. Like I haven't had to flip my life upside down multiple times every time I run into internal crisis. I think Mm. having a certain groundedness and stability in what you're doing, even if you know, okay, this ultimately isn't me, but it's providing the gifts of A, you know, the positive influence I'm hopefully having and that I can feel good about. B, I enjoy it enough right? Like I might not be doing it if it wasn't for the practical element, but I'm enjoying it enough. Right. And then, yeah, see, I think, yeah, just having that as a grounding rod has been really important. Right. I've known a lot of people who've been on their spiritual journeys and have blown up their lives over and over again. And the cycle just repeats, right. You blow it up and you rebuild and you blow it up. And it's like, what's that saying? Wherever you go, there you are, right? Even if I blew it all up and did plant medicine in Peru for four months and then came back and redid it again and blew it up, like that cycle wouldn't be serving anyone anyway. So having that as a grounding rod has been really powerful. Um, Having it as an outlet for my own for my own creativity and my own questioning and my own inquiry, you know, has served me and hopefully the industry well as well right Mm -hmm. because if you are going to be engaging in something you might as well really strive to make it as enjoyable and congruent as you can and that's Mm -hmm. really where everything that's defined my work has been is yeah like when you realize I don't know like traditional persuasion is just weaponized psychology you're like I'm not going to do that so what am I going to do instead what am I going to do now right Mm -hmm. and I guess in a way (laughs) in a way, like some of your gifts get defined by your traumas or your non-negotiables. Like I remember when I was so like this 
might sound really gross and like too much information, but I have very dexterous feet and toes. Like I could almost like paint with my toes and like (laughs) essentially like how that happened. It's like, I was, you know, four years old and swimming lessons. And, you know, we were at the stage where like to pass your test, you had to pick up an item on the bottom of the pool. (laughs) And like, it didn't say how you had to pick it up. Like the assumption was you would dive in and get it and like, fuck that. I don't want to dive. I'm afraid of drowning. So I got really good at picking up big objects with my four-year-old toes. Um, That became my method then. And yeah, I guess like things either orient around your ethos and your values or your traumas or a bit of both, you know, um, I'd be lying if I said that part of why I created the whole coaching, the conversion thing was like, I just didn't like selling. I just didn't like putting pressure on people because I would feel that pressure myself, even if it was a healthy pressure. Mm. So yeah, part ethos, part values, part trauma, part unwillingness, part part everything. So yeah, it becomes kind of a playground for that. That's a long answer to your initial question. Great. Yeah. That's what we're here for. Cool. Ramblin' Rye. Yeah, I love it. Totally. And I want to just touch back on that feeling of not necessarily like this is my life purpose and what I'm meant to be doing. And I think that's like a cultural entrainment that we even have that idea and that in all likelihood drives that desire to blow it all up because it's not my purpose. I need to keep searching and seeking outside of myself and what I'm currently doing and my current circumstances for that purpose, as if that's the ultimate goal of, of life. But I don't know that it's that simple or straightforward. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't had the experience of it being simple or straightforward. And I certainly (laughs) don't want to dismiss or deny that that might be true to some, you know, maybe some people genuinely find a calling and a purpose and it's real and who am I to say it's not right. Right. But in my own true experience, like, you know, I never thought it is my destiny to win an Oscar for best new screenplay. Right. Like I never had that. Like I just enjoyed writing movies and I had ideas I needed to write, you know, and the same with copywriting. Like I never had this like undying need to be the next great copywriter the best teacher in this or the best like no like I I don't have that I just enjoy playing in the space and I guess maybe part of that lesson pressure to be anything other than what I am has kind of loosened the grip and allowed me to create I don't know a decent amount of stuff but I don't know I still, I'm not sold on the purpose for the mission thing. And I think you kind of nailed it where like it creates this undue anxiety when you're living something that doesn't feel like that is. And you feel like you need to hit reset, you know, (laughs) every few years. Um, I don't know. Maybe some people are just built differently. I have no idea. I can't answer that one yet. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that too, though. The like, is this my purpose? I don't really think so. But also, what is? What does that even look like? And if it's meant to unfold and reveal itself mm-hmm. as we like move through what we're currently doing, then trusting that. Mm. Right. 
And at the same time, like, you know, a vocational purpose or even a creative purpose is only ever going to be such a small portion of the influence you have here, right? And your own personal learning. Yeah, it's just like, it's a weird part of life to compartmentalize when it's not naturally compartmentalized and it doesn't work like that. So I don't know, like, I think there's so much fodder around us, right? In who we're becoming and the people we're sharing that journey with Mm -hmm. that it feels like, you know, anything on top of the main purpose of just honoring your unfoldment and your healing and your own expansion of consciousness and awareness in an embodied way that's meaningful to you. It's like anything on top of that just feels added, you know, and maybe there is some truth that, you know, you are meant to be the great quiz funnel agency. Um, this, like maybe that's very, very much true. And, you know, I think simply being an unfolding, learning, growing, healing human who is mm-hmm. caring and influencing so many humans, both in your immediate family and those you engage with, like, I don't see how anything can supersede that in terms of the value, um, both to yourself and your own soul and who you're engaging with. So I love it. I love that so, so much actually. And I really do think that chances are we don't really see our purpose until the end anyway. And it's like these tiny moments where we like gave someone something like not necessarily physical, but, or like taught someone something or connected or like, you're like walking in the crowd and a scared kid grabs your hand by accident and you don't scare them more. Like that could be it. Right. Just like these little things or Chantel and I were enrolled in a course that we haven't watched yet, but um, I'm like healing the soil. And I'm like, shoot, like if I just get some poop in the right place, (laughs) there's just like if I just move some animal poop to the right place and then let it sit there for a year and so then we can have like a a more vital food source and it doesn't have to be like a vital food source for the entire world it's like if if you know some neighborhood kid gets a carrot that has psyllium in it or whatever like maybe that like is the deeper purpose, but we need to fund it because we do live in this world. And I was, and I, I mean, I put this question to both of you, uh, but first I'll like tell a little story, but I was having a really shitty day on Wednesday. Tuesday was really bad. And Wednesday wasn't better. It was one of those, like go to bed at nine. Cause you're like, man, sleep is good. And then tomorrow will come. And then tomorrow came. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, coffee is a great thing. I love coffee. It's delicious makes me happy. My spiritual practice right now is doing my dishes and like uh, cleaning my counters and just creating that space. But then I taught this like really rudimentary. I like basically we have this DCA Slack group because we like affiliated and we're like helping people. And I just like built a funnel on funnelytics for 10 people. And because they're like, what the F is this? Like, what do you mean? How many funnels do I need to have for this course? I'm like, well, lots. And they're all one. And, And like, at the end of that, I was like way lifted up, you know, and it was just like sharing something that has become embodied knowledge for me and has like become simple because of 
listen to <laughs> Rush Parts on 2X enough times that I can like build a launch sequence or whatever, right? And like mm-hmm. that. And then that evening I went and taught, if I may say so myself, a really beautiful yoga class. And so, and like felt people's nervous systems like, like a number of times in the class. And I have been riding an I'm okay with the world high now for a couple of days since then. And it was really just like being of service in these two very random ways is what for me made it like, it's not like I like sure I had fun writing the show up sequence for it, but that's not what it really was. You know, it, it was like connecting with human beings who are alive in this world and then just helping them take like one step in the next direction of the thing that they're feeling like is their purpose right now, whether it's like relaxing or like launching their own course. And so I agree that we don't need a huge purpose, but I got to say when I felt behind a purpose, life felt easier for me. So I don't think there's one life purpose, but I do think that there might be this one that you do for a time and then this one that you do for a time. And so my question at the end of the story is like, uh, at the risk of sounding cliche, like what is it for both of you in what you're doing right now as like spiritual beings on this crazy, but beautiful, crazy, beautiful planet, practically and uh, impractically, what is it that kind of lights you up and that could take you from the, like, I like sleeping in coffee to like, Oh yeah, I like my life. It's not so bad feeling. So yeah, that's, that's my question. What is it that you're doing? that that makes you maybe not need the grander purpose or feel like you're in it even if you don't know what it is it's a really good question who's gonna go first (laughs) there are elements within what i do that i really do love whether or not they're this grand purpose they still make me feel purposeful um i do genuinely enjoy connecting with community and some of the automated intimacy calls we did like over the summer, like I looked forward to those. I just enjoyed being with these humans and helping where I could. That is something that is true and purposeful and meaningful in all the right ways. I still absolutely do enjoy the thrill out of discovering new ways of doing things, right? And that's kind of what drove the whole um, new suite of creations is like, how can we improve on this whilst going deeper in our values, right? Mm -hmm. So like accepting big challenges or taking on challenges that are within your skill set and even your mastery, I think there's still enjoyment of that. And you get to discover your own capacity through taking on those challenges. Mm -hmm. So I think that is meaningful. So like When I say that I don't have this grand purpose, it doesn't mean I don't feel purposeful in a lot of elements that I'm doing. And it doesn't mean I'm going through the motions like that kid and catcher in the rye. Um, Like I find enjoyment and I find purpose and I find meaning in these, um, in these things, just as I do, you know, nourishing my son and being with Sue and, you know, like these are roles that require cohesion, but that's not a negative. When I say it's clumsy, it doesn't mean that I don't enjoy them or appreciate them or feel like there are tremendous soul lessons for me in there, right? Like, like I'm so grateful to be a parent in this lifetime where 
it just excavated so much of my shit that I thought that I didn't have to deal with. Right. Mm. I remember like when my son was one and I was like gearing up for one of the copy school launches and I was feeling the stress of that. And he was a terrible sleeper. And I remember like at 2 a.m., I'm like, a prisoner in San Quentin has more freedom than I do right now. Like, <laughs> like I, I, I envied someone on death row, like <laughs> legitimately. And I'm like, what's that all about? Right? <laughs> um, you need coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so all these things I'm tremendously appreciative of because they're allowing for both expressions of, you know, wisdom and community being built around them. And I think what I'm most blessed for is to essentially like have a business right now that is resonating with community. I really love serving and being with and feel nourished by. And yeah, so what was the original question? Did I answer it? Very well. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, it was, I loved, I, I loved the like being purposeful can you can be purposeful without like having this like deep knowing of what my purpose on this world is to be or what have you so yeah and I I agree I think it like resonates with me in the same way as what I shared like creating a community where I can impart the things I've learned and learn from people is like makes it okay to exist you know, I, it's like, oh, good. I do, I do need to ask, though, like, what is your, like, Shavasana song? Like, what are you playing as everyone is just, like, melting into the ground? Yeah, so most played is Immunity by John Hopkins. Yeah, and then actually in my last class, shout out to my friend Jane, because I just stole one of her playlists, which I will send to you, Rai. And um, it's called Slowly Slowing Down. And I think there is a good chance that part of the reason that class was so good was that the playlist is so good um because I just like put people in this like supported bridge pose and then like walked them into setting their bones up properly and then the music and whatever was coming through me just like came through me and I was like oh I haven't I hadn't taught like that in years like I hadn't connected to like teacher dawn in that way in years but yeah immunity by john john hopkins the album of the same name is my absolute most listened to album of all time each year spotify is like this year i was in 0.02 percent of his listeners and mostly (laughs) it's that album and it's really great for writing because usually it's got this like sort of like i don't know if you've heard it but it's got this sort of hero's journey happening in it and there's not really any words but there's a, a driving force throughout the whole thing. So if you are trying to like whip out a launch after you've done all your research for weeks and then in a week try and get it out, you can be like, but the one song is like the song where it like gets to the and then it's like, so yeah, it's also like 11 minutes or something, which is a great amount of time for Shavasana. So thanks for asking. So good. Yeah, I love it. I have a feeling Rye might be also in that 0.2% of John Hopkins. Well, I got into John Hopkins from via East Forest. So like Mm -hmm. I admittedly didn't know John Hopkins before. So I'm I'm part of the new wave of John Hopkins listeners. Um, Yeah, he's great. 
Mm-hmm. I'm like old, you know, when you like find an album and then you, I have actually listened to lots and lots of it, but it's like that album, nothing can beat it. So I always go back to it. It was mm-hmm. like d- during, like I have a creative writing degree. So it was during some, like, we don't have finals, right? We have portfolios. So it was during some portfolio season uh, in the novel writing class, so like a novel writing class and three other creative writing classes at that time that I discovered that album. And I just like, I think it just like plays in the background of my life now <laughs> all nice. the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah East Forest is also really amazing. And that's East Forest is like what uh, the playlist I mentioned starts on. So I'll make sure to send it to you. I have another song for you too. I was like, oh, I think I would like this song. In the show links. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we can- Gotta share it with with everyone. I will. Playlist magic. Totally. I'll write that down for sure. Shanti, do you have an answer? You don't have to have an answer. What is it about life? Is it make baking cookies? Definitely baking cookies, nourishing, raising happy children that are somewhat protected from the madness currently occurring. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, this unfolding in the last two years of something that feels new to me, like, like this, like kind of fierce protective Mm. energy of like wanting to like bring people in to a place of refuge from all the judgment and all the division and all of the unprecedented government control at play. I feel so privileged to have a business at this time because we have a degree of sovereignty that 90% or more Canadians do not have. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the actual percentages are, but like to operate out of this manipulative, coercive energy and maybe be able to create opportunity and possibility for people who want to reside outside of that, that's kind of driving me forward these days in ways that are still revealing themselves like I don't really know what's going on but that's sort of and then maybe it's like this like Aquarian thing that I have where I feel like I need to like save people Mm. and (laughs) somehow buy hundreds of acres of land that we can regenerate and that people can build little cabins on and we can have a real sense of of in-person community mm-hmm. while also having that like collective global sense of connection. Mm. So yeah. Sounds mighty purposeful. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's something to be said, right? About circumstance activating these otherwise mm-hmm. dormant aspects of you that are so freaking powerful and so ready to, you know, essentially just activate in these ways that are so instantly meaningful. Mm. Yeah, but that's the scary shit that Mm. like you shatter other people's expectations of yourself when you like step into that role, I guess. Mm. And that can be so painful. Yep. And so strange and so out of your control. And it's like, oh yeah, that's not actually my responsibility. And we're meant to change Mm -hmm. and evolve and grow. And the people who are in our lives, like I love that quote that I don't know who said this, but 
people enter your lives for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And we don't know right. which is which. And like, that's beyond our comprehension. But for some reason, it's like, I want to have some element of control over that, which is so futile. Mm-hmm. Air. Right. Yeah. yeah, I feel you on that. So, I think like, yeah, I feel like the ones that really are lifetime folks, you know, are the ones who... I don't know, there's just a deeper connection to some degree of essence where you're excited and eager to re-relate around wherever they've evolved into, free of expectation, right? Like who is anyone to impose an expectation on who someone is, yet we tend, and I don't like to use the word we in a generalized sense because that's just weird, but some people out there, yeah, just feel entitled to people being who they thought they were, right? Or who they expected them to be. And it's very, it's a very odd human characteristic, right? Likely derivative of a need to control some degree of a situation. Mm -hmm. Um, But to me, that's always been baffling. And all the relationships I've had that have had that kind of natural end date or unnatural end date to them, whether it's business or you know, intimate relationships, whatever they are, it's when it's become very clear that like she's communicating to someone who's literally not here anymore. Like Mm. she's trying to evoke someone that has perished. Right. And it's just like, who are you talking to? (laughs) Like it just, it doesn't register and there's no plane of which to authentically relate anymore. And that happens in all forms of relationship, family relationships, uh, business relationships, friendships, especially. And that's just how it goes, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or, uh, I'm doing this life coaching certification right now. And one mm. of the like tenets of person centered uh-huh. coaching is just simply like non judgment. And you enter that space as equals. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just so beautiful and such a thing to attempt at all times, maybe not just in this coaching conversation, but well, even through coaching the conversion, like I imagine you're operating from that place. I know you're operating from that place. Like I can feel it. You're speaking to your audience through copy as an equal counterpart, not as an enlightened guru who knows something they don't. I want to just share this with you, Rai. You might know this already, but I recently had this epiphany and I've like gone on and on about it to Dawn already, but the difference between propaganda and education. Ooh, right. So do you know this? Do I know the difference? difference? I mean, enlighten me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the difference this is like really simple, basic thing is it, with education, you graduate. There's a point where you graduate and you move on to the next thing. And that's the goal. The goal is graduation. With propaganda, there's no graduation. You will never know enough. You will never be the expert. You will never be allowed to cross a certain threshold. You will never have the resources, the tools, the insight to reach 
the level of intelligence of the propagandist. Mm. And if we look at our online marketing stratosphere, we can right. see there are educators and there are propagandists. Mm. Of course, the media is the best example, but mm. it falls into marketing paradigms as well. Right. Yep. Big time. That constant like one-upsmanship and authority over. I think authority over is really the clear litmus test for me, right? And it's very, I mean, media, you know, every headline authority over, right? The second one is in that tonality, it becomes very clear that it's propaganda in my view, in my experience. Yeah, I think that's obviously the hardest and biggest piece of the coaching and the course industry to overcome, right? Because there's so much ego fed through it and so much opportunity to feel like you have authority over because you are the coach or the educator, right? The educator moving into cult leader, propagandist or whatever it is. And that's what I, that's what really resonated about um, what you shared from like the life coaching element where you start as equals in non-judgmental space, right? Which paradoxically gives you so much more influence, mm-hmm. right? Because there's not this constant guardedness, you know, but there's this actually meeting each other. You have far more influence when people obviously trust you and trust the intent of that space. And making this practical in marketing has been such a practice, right? Like, and there's, even for me right now, there's still so many more, I guess, like ways to develop and refine the way I communicate. And I'm really attempting to do so from a place of like being non-dogmatic in what I have to say, right? Leaving things a little bit more open-ended, which isn't great for conversion because people want certainty in the way you state things. They want promises to be promises. They want to feel your certainty in everything. And I think the rightfully humble way of going about things is like, I just don't know, right? This may be good for you. This may be a tremendous experience, but I just don't know. And I really hope you have the discernment to ask me the right questions so that we can land there together. And that's essentially what my enrollment calls have become over the last year is this space of exploration. And I don't always offer people the certainty they need. And a lot of the times people feel a little bit caught off guard with that. And, and sometimes I question myself, like, am I not leading as I should here? Am I being too passive? And there probably is a better balance to be struck between leading while also being humble and having that shared space. And I'm still trying to land there myself, but I've certainly moved away from the this is what's going to get you there, right? Like, this is the path for you. Like, no matter how confident I am in what I teach, context freaking matters, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I won't know anyone's context inside out, no matter how hard I try to get to know it, even on a 60-minute call, the discernment still lands with them and being encouraging of someone to do what they need to do to make an empowered decision, not what I say they need to do. And... It's really difficult to translate all of that into especially like an automated marketing process, right? Let alone a one-on-one. But yeah, that's part of what I find purposeful and where there's so many more 
steps in this evolution of marketing, which I think can be a beautiful process. I think, you know, for all the shade that's so easy to throw on the industry, there's so many beautiful transformative elements of it as well. Um, There's so much opportunity we can create to those who are ready and into position to benefit from it, whatever you're selling, whether it's, you know, spiritual type programs or even marketing type programs that give people the tools and confidence to have a career that they wouldn't otherwise have. So it's not to be dismissed. Um, It's to be, you know, to find rejoicement in the potentiality of it and just continuously striving to both be a effective at it and be ethically aligned with Mm -hmm. how you want to communicate to quote unquote, the masses in a respectful, equal partnership kind of way. Yeah. Wow. Love how you are exploring that. I've started watching the enrollment call trainings you put together and like, even for myself, I feel like I need to go back into like all my previous conditioning of what it means to be an effective online business owner, marketer, copywriter, and look at it through, through that lens of being able to coach discernment and speak to context build in nuance and soften Mm. a little bit and look through that lens of, am I being a propagandist right now? Or am I being an educator? Because for some, like to be a teacher in that way is really quite sacred. Yeah. And we trust our teachers, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's a totally different relationship. So to honor that. Yeah. A lot changes when you get to a point where you can do no harm or just don't want to do harm, even inadvertently, right? It's like all these things that otherwise wouldn't matter to bring into the process all of a sudden become such an obsession of how to create, you know, safe power dynamics, right? When there is an inherent power imbalance between someone who is saying, I need help and someone who's saying, I have all the answers right? Like it's built within a culture and how do you maintain the best of that, which is a leader who brings, you know, appropriate levels of courage and conviction and belief in the person they are leading while also having a sense of softness around like making sure that like they are equipped and empowered to be on that journey. Cause not everyone is not all the time. And people make more poor decisions in this space than good ones, unfortunately. Mm. Right. Um, And I think just by mere fact of that, there's still a lot of work to do. Mm. I think I have two things here. One of them is, I think this comes back to uh, power over people as opposed to empowering people. And the truth of the matter is, is you are your own greatest teacher, but even in these this, you know, we're moving into the Aquarian age or what have you, right? And the idea with that is that that we all can have a connection with God and we can all have a connection with uh, this deep wisdom and intelligence. But like some of us have spent a long time learning this stuff, right? And others of us have spent a long time learning this stuff. And I think it's okay to uh, be a bit of an expert in your field, but it's not okay to make promises like this is all you're going to need to make your business work. And I think that that's where we get uncomfortable is that there, like, 
Because yes, automated intimacy might be one thing they need, but they're also going to need probably a a number of different teachers, Um, even in copy, like I'm always reading about copy and, and persuasion and psychology and I have teachers across the board that lots of copywriters would be like, oh, I don't like that you're reading that guy. And then other copywriters would be like, I don't like that you're reading that girl. But like uh, discernment is a beautiful thing, but you can't be discerning if you don't have enough information, like you were saying, context to be able to make those choices. So, and I think we do both ourselves and our possible students a disservice if we don't believe in our own offers enough to mm-hmm. sell them. <laughs> like not, and not push, but like mm-hmm. really the hum, the humility is beautiful. But like I said, just, just 10X launches or whatever completely changed my life and empowered me. And now I have a full-time job as a copywriter where I'm teaching other people how to copyright. And if I hadn't believed in the promise of say copy school, then I would be a waitress, which is fine because I would be moving my body more, but I'm just saying that there, I think that we can stand behind some of what we're doing and we we disempower people if we're not willing to, yeah, really stand behind what our offers yeah. are. That's that's the pendulum swinging too far on the other side, right? And yeah. it's so important to say, like my goal in all of this is still to, you know, improve what we're able to convert, you know, in an automated funnel. Like that is still very much a goal, right? I don't want to shrug my shoulders, be passive and say, maybe this is for you, maybe not, but I don't know, decide, click if you feel like it. Like that to me is too far the other side, too lazy and, you know, void of any leadership. And you're certainly not instilling confidence. I think what summarizes it the best is like, I don't want conversion to be the end point of being battered. I want, I don't want to force compliance is how I worded it in, um, I think, engineering the enrollment. There's a difference between an empowered conversion and forced compliance. And Mm -hmm. I think there's too much of the latter going on. And, you know, as audiences get more sophisticated and don't want to be forced into compliance, um, I think there's nothing but opportunity and readiness for people to be engaged with in a more respectful manner. Yeah. And I love, I love the coaching lens and that way of looking at it because it offers something that a lot of quote unquote ethical marketers are not speaking to, which is the need to address pain and struggle Mm -hmm. and that reality. And so many of the folks teaching on the other side of the spectrum of the super gentle, non-pushy, like anti-anti-bro marketer, whatever that means, approach Mm. is don't talk about pain. Right. Keep it positive. Keep it light. Good vibes only. And it's like, if I was coaching someone, like that's going to be most of the conversation, at least in the beginning. That's why someone's coming to you. Yeah, you can't, you can't ignore that. And you're so good at like building it and making it feel so tangible. And like, I can see myself in that coffee shop drinking my third black Bottom. coffee and These like quad shot lattes, <laughs> softly <laughs> crying. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And I think like that's been 
my method around getting around the whole kind of like pain and agitation thing, right. Is just bringing it into hyper-realism, right. Mm -hmm. I think you tread into not only unethical territory, but ineffective territory when you start creating exaggerated consequence, when you start um, essentially, uh, and this is what I hate about marketing, you know, or propaganda, if you will, is creating kind of the exclusive relationship between you buy this or you suffer the consequences, right? Like that is just such an easy thing to call bullshit in. And, you know, my brain just doesn't go there. So I think like effective um, pain excavation, if you will, whether it's on a sales page or email sequence or even sales call is keeping it as close to reality as possible, right? Like the sales page I wrote for um, the sales call training, right? Like I don't go on and on and on about, you know, if you suck at sales, your business is never right. going to grow, blah, blah, blah. Like to me talking about pain is it's 9.58 a.m., you have a sales call at 10, how do you feel, right? And like bring them into the moment where either that problem is real and vivid and visceral um, or they don't have it and they don't need the training. Right. Um, but exaggerated consequences, exaggerated stakes is what essentially we want to move away from because I think it's losing its effect to begin with. Yeah, that's such a great point. And I love that opening, man. It was so visceral. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. My move is like, so what do you do two minutes before a sales call? That's actually a good question or an enrollment call or whatever you want to call them. I almost always feel like throwing up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do I do? Um, I, I always have to go for like the one last P which is yeah, weird because like totally. I'm, not, I'm not a frequent peer. Peer, I have a <laughs> tremendous bladder capacity. But like, sales guy, gotta go. Um, yeah. And then I always underestimate how long it takes my espresso maker to like operate. Um, I really got to give it a five minute buffer because it always has needs when I need it most. Like change the filter. Water empty the grounds. I'm like, you can't hold more grounds. <laughs> Just hold, hold a bit more grounds. Um, but yeah, bringing people to those moments where they experience the pain or problem most viscerally and vividly and real, you know, that your product would solve. Like, I think it's, it's quite simple, right? If you, if it wouldn't come up on a sales call, it shouldn't be on a page or an email. Mm. And that's why like my main voice of prospect or voice of um, customer data, I call it voice of prospect data. Cause like I speak more to prospects than customers. I don't do much research from people who've already bought. I do a lot more research from people who are on the edge of buying and in the buying decision and auditing those sales calls, right? Like, one of the first questions I'd be asking, right, is like, so why are we on this call today? Like, what's been going on? And that's a very natural leading off point. And like, you know, you dig a little deeper, not trying to poke at a wound, but just saying like, how did that actually show up for you? How is that showing up for you? Like your moment of highest tension, your pain, your agitation is all in that, right? Just mm -hmm. audit those elements of the calls. And that's where most of my like subheads and headlines come from. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think, I think, if anything, my copy has performed well because it's just been grounded in reality and it doesn't 
doesn't force people to suspend disbelief too much. Um, mm. It's been probably too light on hypey promises for this industry, but it's just been grounded in, yep, this is real. This is how I experience this industry. You're reading my mind, you're reading my thoughts. Um, and that just comes with like, yeah, I mean, those conversations, wanting to be real, not wanting to take people on journeys that I wouldn't want to be on myself. So, yeah, I love this question in life coaching. That's very simply, once you've asked the initial question, you get the response and can you tell me more about that? Mm. And then we go a layer deeper and you have that prompt in the golden questions. It's like on a deeper level, why does that matter? Okay. One more level of depth here. Now, really, why does it matter? And like healing back those layers. There's so much. Yeah. (laughs) It's It's interesting. Like I used to feel a little bit like awkward, like peeling back layers, right? And I'm just like, am I digging too hard? And then, you know, you do it and you realize how much of a gift it is to the receiver to actually explore these deeper chasms that no one else has really given them space to explore before. And that's kind of the gift of those calls, whether you're coaching them towards a conversion or coaching them post-conversion. I think that chance to explore those dimensions is beautiful and a gift. And then what I kind of realized in the past like year, and this just speaks to where the industry is, is people are so scared to share because they feel like everything will be held against them in the point of close, right? It's like everything I say will be weaponized against me later when you're pressuring me to sell, right? And it's like, holy shit, people have been traumatized in this industry. Like Mm. they might not be calling it trauma, but when you see their freeze on coaching questions, like what else are we going to call it? Um, Mm -hmm. And that's why I think like so much of what I've moved into in that sales training has been about creating that safety. Um, Mm -hmm. Not from a passive, we need to really tread carefully kind of place, but to go deep, to get vulnerable, to transform, we need that initial sense of safety. So it's like safety as the starting point for something deep and transformative, not safety because we're afraid of triggering or saying the wrong word or you know, not that form of safety, although that's a whole other conversation, but yeah, I don't know. The industry is changing and the way we have to communicate or the way we get to communicate and choose to show up um, changes accordingly. Yeah. I think you really spoke to it when you said oversaturation of the market. Like I think all of the markets are becoming saturated now, unless it's like a brand, brand new thing. And then in 10 days after the brand new thing comes out, it's going to be oversaturated because everyone, I I mean, it's just the proliferation of the internet, right? It's just that, you know, people, I mean, you probably get this, right? People are like, so what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm in marketing. Or like, I'll be a writer. And they'll be like, I'm a marketing writer. And they're like, what? I'm like, I'm a copywriter. They're like, oh, can you trademark this thing? I'm like, okay, so... (laughs) Everything you see on the internet is copy almost, right? And like, I think that 10 years ago, nobody, maybe 20% of the population had been in a sales funnel 
or something. I'm making that number up, but like, let's say now I think like everyone who's on the internet on social media or something has been in a sales funnel and they're all feeling it and has been in 10 sales funnels. And they're like, Oh, that's this email. Oh, it's cart closed. I see. Right. So I think they're like, and, but that's what, where the innovation comes from. And that's where like you could innovate in one direction or you could innovate in the other. And I think it's really interesting that you are innovating in automation and intimacy. There's like that interesting sort of poetic in between the spaces liminal. That's the word I'm looking for liminal space that I think that maybe you can play in with, with this automated intimacy. Um, I guess it's a course, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. A course with, yeah. Coaching, mentorship, community, all of Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's, I think it's really special. And I have lots of friends who are like spiritual teachers, uh, who have courses who are trying to go online now and they're like, I'm looking for passive. Uh, I've heard of evergreen and passive and I'm like, LOL, <laughs> we're going to have to sit down on a Saturday. Let's have a zoom because we live in different towns, but first we're going to come to this word passive and it doesn't exist and it never exists. And even if your sales funnel and everything is working well and it's passive, then, and then you're going to be in there like optimizing the course and optimizing the coaching and helping people more. Um, but I think we have, we all have this idea and this is just coming back to the saturation of the market. Like everyone who wants to sell anything wants an automated passive evergreen funnel. Right. Uh, and then I'm I'm like, okay, if you do that, you have to have a community because like, there's no connection. Like, I think that's why a live launch works so well, right? They get to know your person. You get to know your teacher and like, feel like the reasons why they can help you with the thing. But if you're just going to be in a, another, I don't know, cog in the funnel or what have you, like, how, how do you, so how, how do you create? I haven't, I'm not in automated intimacy or perhaps I, like, I think Chantel, like, gave me an invitation, but I never got into the calls or something. So, like, I never dove in. So, I'm, like, a total noob. How do you create this intimacy from an automated place in, uh, yeah, like, you know, 30 seconds or something? Can you just uh, elevator pitch that? <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. Well, we are restarting in January, so you can be on those calls. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, the way we frame it is, like, you know, playbook based, right? So it's like, whatever you are doing, there should be a way to add more automation and therefore intimacy. And let me get like hyper-specific with that, right? So something kind of on an advanced automation thing would be lead scoring, right? So active campaign does it really well, or you could set your lead scores. So you start by playing the what's been true exercise. So like what's been true of your best clients, Uh right? You know, what have they done? What have they experienced? Maybe they said, I really love that, you know, ebook you wrote. I really love this video that I watched before getting on this call. So you essentially reverse engineer the what's been true, create lead scores for those things. And then essentially that's the automation part. And then they'll go about their, you know, online journey in an automated way, consuming what they consume, opening emails, watching videos, signing up for webinars or whatever it is. And then once someone crosses a lead score threshold, right, let's say it's 100, the intimacy will come into play, right? So now instead of having them wait for your once per year launch or twice per year launch, you could reach out like literally within like 
two hours of them consuming that last thing where it feels like synchronicity, right? Like, holy shit, I was just watching this video, right? Because that's what triggered them going past that threshold. Um, essentially just saying like, really appreciate you being in our community. Just want to know like, what are you getting out of it so far, right? Is there anything we can help with? So no hard sell there, but essentially your automation shows you who is essentially um, demonstrating the signals of those who've been your best customers on the other side of it. And you get to intervene with intimacy where they'd be most receptive to receiving it. So that's one playbook out of eight. There's obviously other things you can do in different contexts, whether that's webinar funnels or um, product launches or Facebook groups. But that's the one that comes to mind because I feel like it really kind of captures both something that's a little bit more advanced on the automation side, but allows you to come in in that intimate touch point. I love it. Thank you. That was a great one minute uh, elevator pitch. You totally rocked it. I love that idea because I think people do want to hear from you, you know, at the right time. Right. And, and if they are at that place where they're becoming like that best customer, like then they're in the right place in the journey for more connection. And it's very likely that they're in the right place in the journey where I really loved what you said earlier. Like it doesn't stop at conversion. It's not just about selling the thing. I think that's where oh, it gets really shitty is like once, once you've sold the thing, you just like send them the videos and then say, see ya or what have you. So I love, I love that, that coaching aspect, even, even in the sales like even in, in the funnel is like, and then, yeah, not, not being pushy. Like you consume the thing. So you want to buy it now? It's just right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Playing with that and those methods has been super fun. And so, yeah, just so refreshingly different from everything else. Like I get a little bit nervous recording mm. these personal videos for people who I know have watched 80% mm. of my webinar Right. But overwhelmingly the feedback is like, whoa, uh, oh, you're a you're a, you're a person? Like mm. you talk to your customers? Uh cool. Right. Thanks for the note. Like it's it's like this shock mm-hmm. because people are not accustomed to that. And mm. I think it's it, you know what it's interesting too because and I'd like to experiment with experiment with this more, like really going all in with that and those personal touch points and then lessening the dependency on having a huge surplus of leads, knowing that the conversion rate is going to be like 5% or or whatever it is and reverse engineering from there and instead uh, focusing on quality and not just quantity. Yeah, that's essentially kind of what I want to establish beyond like the conversion metrics that these playbooks provide, right? It's like the relationship just starts on a much different foot, right? Mm -hmm. One where there's actually two-way accountability. And I think that's one of the things that like, unless you're a mega brand with a mega list, right? Like it is still a relationship driven business with your community. And I think like, there's just too much presumed one-sided anonymity from the audience side. And as a creator, someone who's like generously giving your energy, your bandwidth to your audience, I think that is an appropriate boundary to have a bit of a two-way thing going on, right? You know, rather than just like, 
being on stage for their amusement <laughs> all the time. Mm-hmm. But yes, I mean, obviously we go for an immediate ROI and bumps into, you know, funnel metrics of each stage that we inject these into. But um, we had one case where like I sent one of those personal videos for like our original like automated in- intimacy launch back in like May, I think, May or June. And like crickets like they didn't even reply to the video right and like my ego got like super butt hair there i'm like i just like <laughs> sent them a video and they ghosted on me right um but then when we sent out an email like last month saying we you know we pushed out our you know relaunch there's a few like mentorship spots um or just like you know customized one-on-one you know vip days like that person was the first one in my inbox uh-huh. right and just like you know, said like, AI hey, wasn't the right fit, but I really could use some personalized attention on this. Right. And like, it sucks when ROI, like the return on energy, especially is delayed or deferred or not even noticed. But um, sometimes it just, yeah, gets delayed a little bit further down the road and essentially creating these very differentiated, unique relationships with, with your audience is so vital with these saturation points, especially in the marketing space, when you know that they're likely following, you know, multiple people. Yeah. It's like, how do we actually make our relationship with them count and matter and make them know that they're accounted for within this space? Yeah. And that conversation used to be, if you give someone enough value on the front end, then they'll have it in their head that, well, if this is what's on the front end, then I imagine what's going to be on the back end and they'll join. And it's like, that's not enough anymore. Mm -hmm. So what they need to know on the front end is that you're actually going to witness them and respect them and honor them and acknowledge them Mm -hmm. at the most base level. Totally. And that is the trust builder that will bring someone kind of across the threshold. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Indeed. Things like, I I know we're going extra long, so I I won't try and like open a whole nother thing, but something you said just reminded me of uh, a feeling I got when we were speaking with Sandra about scalability. And I think like that idea of you sent out the video and you didn't even hear anything back. And so then it felt like you didn't get an ROI and then you're like, Oh, it sucks when ROI isn't right away. But like that is societal expectation that we need to like, let go of, right. Not telling you to let go of that. Just the idea that like something didn't work. We can't measure success as easily as active campaign might make us think in a lead score, because we don't know how we've touched people with anything that we've sent out. Right. And even at the beginning, we were talking about the red link and five people unsubscribed by accident and then emailed you back. Is that a success or is that a failure? It's definitely a learning, but those people were like, get me back on the list or whatever. Right. Like they, yeah. So I think there is something really deep in, in what you said or, or that um, that experience of crickets for a video that turned into quickest conversions when what they needed actually occurred. And so often as marketers or um, like course creators, I think we try and do it from our heads, trying to figure out what people need. We don't know. 
Like we can do all the research in the world, but we don't know. And they might want what you have, but not in that way. And it might have nothing to do with finances too, right? And so when we like open up this intimate space where they might feel comfortable asking or where they're like, it's like you planted this seed and they're like, oh man, I don't want to do another course, but I wish I would just look at my shit. You know what I mean? Right. And then they're like, me, please, can I have it? So I think that uh, it's just, and this reminds me again of what we were speaking about at the beginning. Like, we don't know, like your body, you don't know what happened in your body when you had that awakening. We don't know. You don't even need to know. We have no idea. Most of our science is based on theories that we're just waiting to disprove. And it comes down to in marketing too. Like, I don't know, move with heart and try and help and like yeah. measure. <laughs> like, I don't know. Right. I, that's so important. I know we're like getting close to time here, but I think what you said just highlights um, this expectation, right? That everything we do in marketing needs to be so provable and provide immediate returns and rewards, right? And I think that kind of limits a bit of the experimentation we can open up to and the playfulness and the enjoyment of it as well. And really the reason I created a lot of these things, right? Like it's one thing to say like, you know, with all the strategies in AI, yes, we tested them. You know, no, I didn't work with 8,000 clients to test them across like every vertical known to man. Like I can't say they're ironclad and have been proven over and over and over and over again. What I can say is they've been proven enough for me to put them out here and invite you to discern, you know, their utility in your own funnel and your own audience and simply see. And I think that is, it's it's my belief at least that that's valid enough, right? When Mm -hmm. the way we've done things is getting less effective anyway, right? If ships are sinking, like try something else, (laughs) right? Like if you can't do things a certain way anymore, try something else. And these things are built upon sound hypothesis. They have worked in the cases that I've, you know, utilized them in for myself and for my clients, not always in the ways I'd hope or expect them to, but they've always moved the needle in some way, shape or form. And then I'm also like, you know, this is like, it's not even embarrassing because it's the truth, right? Like, like I have my failures on these things too. Like I won't, name anyone here, but there was like this incredible entrepreneur who just came into my space, like really quickly over the summer. Like I did, um, I did a guest thing for, um, deadline funnel and she bought that. Then she bought, um, all the 10 X courses. And then she jumped on the bonus coaching calls we did around those. And I was so, um, enthralled by her enthusiasm and how, just like, yeah, how great she was. And she is great. She still is great. Um, And I was so eager to help that I was giving her a lot of these automated intimacy strategies on those calls without the full context of the course and all the support there. And like, it was mortifying when like, she came back and said like, this did nothing. Like these things just didn't move the needle at all for our audience. And like, holy shit, like I just had a full day of like wanting to blow up everything, right? Mm -hmm. And like, 
I talk to Phil about it. I'm like, you know, what's, what's the lesson here? And it's twofold. Like the lesson is one, like full transparency. This won't work every time with every audience. You know, it's new. We're working towards it. We're operating off hypothesis that is working, but it's a working hypothesis and there will be misfires and we need to be willing to have those, right? Because there's going to be misfires anyway. <laughs> it's marketing, it's life. You know, 92% of a funnel is a misfire, right? If you <laughs> at best have 8% of people converting. Um, and then the next big lesson there, which is invest saving our ego, right? But like sometimes we get so enthusiastic about helping and coaching that we give it in pieces here and there versus the full experience. And I'm like, I can't hate on program that she didn't even take you know like mm-hmm. and that was a big kind of realization there so like back to the word container right keep things in containers where that serve the goals that they're meant to serve but yeah i think like both are valid like they she executed them well and they just didn't move the needle and i was shocked and she was shocked and i didn't audit it of course but yeah you got to kind of be willing to have some L's when you're taking big swings. And I don't think we give ourselves that permission um, because it's so dreadfully embarrassing when it happens. And we feel like we're useless marketers on our first job. And I certainly felt that for a moment, but yeah, very weird note to end this on, but um, I love it. that's the I've, real. I've felt that plenty too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, only we only have so much control again mm-hmm. of like what we can do, how we can help, how we can teach, how we can guide. And then it is up to that person. And so many, so many factors that are out of our head, right? Yeah. But we're like culturally conditioned to take responsibility of stuff that isn't even ours. Yeah, that's totally it. Like I felt that responsibility and I still feel immense responsibility, even in, even in like group coaching programs, even in like courses, I feel responsibility. Like when someone buys 10X launches right now and I know nothing about their business because they just bought it like, you know, off a website, it's like you just naturally feel responsible. And then you kind of have to create your own boundaries for yourself of the Mm. different tiers of working with you and a different level of responsibility and ownership you share on that. And of course, even at the highest level, when you're strategizing a funnel, when you're building it out, when you're writing the copy, there's still not full responsibility. Essentially, you're you're fully responsible for giving it your absolute best shot on your best insights and really bringing all the tools and skills that they're hiring you for. But beyond that, how can you take responsibility for the success of something that might not be the right time, even if it succeeded last time, right? Mm -hmm. The world is shifting so freaking fast and people's priorities and minds are so consumed with so many different things. Yeah, you just have to take ownership of the skills you do have, being real about what they are, being proud of what you've cultivated, because at least it gives you a fighting chance in every conversion scenario. Hmm. and then know that it's just that a fighting chance right? and go for it. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great note to end on personally, because I'm sure a lot of people listening have experienced their own 
quote unquote failures and missteps and swings where they missed. And that's just part of it. And if we don't acknowledge that, we're doing everyone a disservice. Mm. So thank you for your transparency and this whole conversation. Mm. Really just so incredible, right? So grateful for you. Yeah, thank you both for holding the container. <laughs> the container was, it was sacred. Um, it's sacred. Yeah. Yeah, so wonderful to have you on. And yeah, it's neat to be able to like hang out with people that I look up to. So not that I'm putting you on a pedestal, but I am sure everyone is going to love this conversation because there's a reason we look up to you, Raj Schwartz. And oh, well, I look up to y'all. Y'all. <laughs> I've been saying y'all way too much lately. Yeah. But, um, me too. <laughs> it's like a copywriter yeah. thing. I don't know where it came from, <laughs> but stuck into so many people at once. Um, myself with the y'alls. But yeah, no, I look up to <laughs> what you guys are up to and all the magic you're creating, both in the agency side and the products you're creating and just the way you do it right there's like something to be said about and I think it's one thing we don't honor ourselves for is like millions of people have gone through your quizzes and (laughs) read your words and I don't even think about that your brain your brain (laughs) I never go there I never go there you you literally can't fathom it like there is a 404 error in that (laughs) So like, totally. it just is. It's like, that, what does that mean, right? Yeah. But I think that um, the reason I bring that up is it's one thing to like wax philosophical about what ethical marketing is or isn't. And then I think it's freaking epic that, I mean, we get blessed with the opportunity to actually make more than a little bit of a blip in terms of, you know, how many people are starting to um, make decisions based on these methods, Right. Mm. Um, and that's a position that like, I think there's a lot of beauty in and a lot of responsibility in and a lot of motivation to really just keep, keep going the way we're going. Yeah. You know, I like to, we like to plant little seeds in things we write that maybe will, yeah, just. Yeah. Seed help planting. Some, help someone in some small way. Move the poop. Okay. So. <laughs> I just want to ask you to come back on next week, but I won't. Uh, I hope that we do this again in the future for sure. And look forward to connecting more. And of course, for anyone listening, we'll have some contact information for Rye in the show notes. um, So you can check him out and learn more from him as well. And yeah, I don't really... I could just keep going. So just thank you so much yeah, for showing up the way One you do. One of those songs that just trail off. Right? <laughs> that was an 80s thing or a 90s thing where songs just trailed. I don't know. Bonnie yeah. Tyler. <laughs> we oh, should have the, the heart. heart. Trail? Just, I don't know. Start with That's just the first one that came into my head. But uh, I do want to ask, what is the best place mm-hmm. for people to connect with you? Yeah. Best place to connect with me. Yeah, I still like my personal Facebook. That's going to be a good place to, yeah, just actually the Facebook group, Empire Engineering. That's where I'm doing most of my posting these days because um, I don't know who's actually my Facebook friend, but the Facebook group is really filled with my people and incredible people. Mm-hmm. And um, 
people who have wisdom to share beyond um, what I can. So that would be a great place to connect with me as well as just like other incredible copywriters, marketers, entrepreneurs who have a tremendous heart and tremendous value and willingness to share it. Well, it is a great group. And it's all right. I yeah. think if you looked at my Facebook and how many groups I'm in, you would traumatized. <laughs> Yeah. But yours is one of the very few that's actually a really, a really wonderful space that you've created. Well, and I you. want to admit that my like biggest regret when I deactivated my Facebook, I was like, Shondi, I can't talk to Rye anymore. <laughs> like, I don't, I have his phone number or something. It was the only thing I was doing that was good on Facebook was like having yeah. conversations with Rye Schwartz. So and I was like eight hours late on like something you sent me. <laughs> and like, I didn't have a chance to reply either. Like, there's maybe a 0.5% chance that Don just got pissed off about waiting and block me, but I just have to double check. <laughs> oh, I so. just got to get off of it. Yeah. So, Take it anyway. too long. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. We'll find Rye on Facebook um, and know that I'm jealous of you when you do to the, to the listeners. Yeah. Hopefully all right, brothers. Thanks so much, friends. Have an amazing rest of the day and weekend. Bye, everyone. Well, look at you listening to the very end. We are so deeply grateful for you and borderline obsessed with hearing what resonated most and how you're taking the seeds planted in these conversations and sowing them in your life and business. It would mean more than you know if you would share this episode with a friend or subscribe, rate, leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Your reviews tell the algos behind the apps that we are worth pressing play on. So please, if you're feeling generous, take two minutes to share the love. And if you are curious around what your unique advantage is in this wild and wacky online world, Take the unfair advantage quiz at shandyzack.com forward slash UA quiz. And thank you again, sunshine. Go light up the world and we'll see you next time.